It's almost as if the stars have aligned once again. Before we suspend this podcast for a little Christmas break, we've got suspensions to talk about right here on the OHL podcast. Dan Mahar over there. Find him on Twitter at Dan Mahar. My name is Mike Farwell at Farwell underscore OHL. The the unofficial first half, Dan, I guess, is in the books. And uh, what a first half it's been. You know, we touched on this last week, but just as a general observation, it's going to be a really interesting couple of weeks leading up to the trade deadline with the Christmas freeze in place, with the World Junior freeze in place. And by my count, at least a dozen teams that probably at least think they've got a shot at something here. Yeah, what a bonus for the league, right? I mean, if, you, if you're running this league and you look around and you've got basically all 20 teams thinking they got a shot at the playoffs come the trade deadline. That's a good thing. I think, I mean, obviously some of them are going to sell because uh, they're a little far from contention, but uh, nevertheless, I, I don't remember a year like this. And that's a good thing. I get the sense there will be more people looking to buy than there are people looking to sell, but general managers are going to be earning their keep over the next couple of weeks. We'll be talking about that as that January 10th trade deadline approaches. But right now, as I said, a couple of big suspensions to discuss in this week's episode before we take that Christmas break. And one of them, Dan, is to Greg Walters, the now former coach with the Owen Sound Attack. There were some questions raised. It seemed odd. He comes back from a re- relatively successful road trip up north. The team is 4-2-1. and one. He's rather suddenly dismissed by the team. And in the reporting from Greg Cowan in the Owen Sound Sun-Times, there was no indication, at least at the time of Walters' firing, that there was some sort of issue with the league or an investigation was underway. Instead, they just move on. Darren Rumble, the assistant and former OHLer, takes over as head coach. And then we just learn in the past week that the league has suspended Walters for the remainder of this season. So let's call it 35, 40 games, whatever you want to call it. He can apply for reinstatement in writing at the end of the season following the Memorial Cup in June. I'll just share with you some of the language in that release from the team and then throw it or from the league, pardon me, and then throw it over to you, Dan, for thoughts. So it's it says the investigation found that Greg Walters failed to maintain an environment where all individuals are treated with respect and free from bullying, harassment and abuse. And he also demonstrated a clear lack of commitment to safety of his players. What do you make of this? Well, the first thing I make of is it's starting to make sense, right? When he was let go, nothing that was coming out at the time really made sense. You have a team that's four and two, they're running pretty well. And, and why would you fire a coach six games into six, seven games into a season when things were looking pretty good uh, on this vague statement about not playing the way they had discussed in the summer? So we knew something more was to that. And here we go. Um but all that language, Mike, suggests obviously uh, lost his cool, did something, said something, um, just behaved in a way that is no longer appropriate. And I know maybe it's maybe it's a personality trait that some of these people in the hockey world just cannot temper. But you're going to have to. I mean, we have so much evidence this day and age of, of this behavior not being OK. It, people have ample warning of what you can and cannot do. And if you have the instincts to do those things, then you need to do more work than the rest of us. Uh, but to let yourself still still fall victim to your own temper or your own 
rage or who knows what exactly happened here, but it sounds like whatever it was crossed some severe lines and he's paying the price. Yeah, so I, I'm feeling similarly, but I, I think I have a, a position here that may not be universally popular. However, let me uh, let me spell it out this way or explain it as best I can. So here, here's what I'm taking away from what we learned from the league that they've shared with regard to the investigation. First of all, demonstrated a clear lack of commitment to the safety of his players. That, to me is one of the most important element uh, most important elements of this if you're not showing some sort of respect for the safety of your players then there's no business for you in this league anywhere quite frankly that should be job number one i think the league has been consistent on that i think i've been consistent in saying i appreciate and admire the league's consistency on that front and so that we have to make sure maintains a key priority of the league and everybody associated with it, the safety and overall health and well-being of the players. But here's one of the things I'm reading into here. That was the secondary part of the league's release, which suggests to me that this issue, whatever it was, had more to do with that failure, again, from the language of the league's release, to maintain this environment where all individuals are treated with respect and free from bullying, harassment, and abuse. Now, I, I understand where you're coming from, and I, I take uh, what you say, Dan, sincerely, and I understand that absolutely this is kind of where we're at in the world today. And yes, if you if you struggle to maintain a level of composure, to temper your temper, if you will, there are far greater consequences for that than there ever used to be. and And to a degree, I subscribe to that, but I will say only to a degree. I worry a little bit here, and this is how I'm going to describe it for you. I, look, first of all, I know a number of people involved in the Owen Sound Attack organization. I know them pretty well, and I have the utmost respect for them. This was clearly uh, an issue. The main part of this was an issue between Greg Walters, the head coach, and another staff member with the Owen Sound Attack. I wasn't there at that game in Sault Ste. Marie when this all came to a head, I suspect that this was loud enough for some fans not far from the bench to probably have an idea what was going on. Uh, as we've learned from the league, it was an official on the ice that reported this to the league and said something is probably not right here. So whatever transpired behind the bench, I don't know. But Greg Walters has been around this league for a fair number of years. There's no question that he's an old school, older school kind of fiery coach. But here, here's where I'm at on this. I, I'm worried a little bit, Dan, that if we have arrived at a point in our existence as people and specific to this case as competitors, where we can't have, for lack of a better term, an FU battle between one another, a little FU back and forth, because we care that much about the job that we're doing. I'm not sure I'm okay with that. And I'll just put it there for your thoughts. Yeah. And that's a fair point. Cause you need some degree of latitude in these positions, right. To use different tactics and employ different tactics to get to the common goal. You're all trying to achieve. I, I would just turn it around a bit though, Mike here and say that whenever I think any of these organizations are concerned, wherever there's a power imbalance and obviously you have, Greg Walters at the top of the pyramid there. And you look at the incident happening in Sault Ste. Marie. So whomever it happened with has to ride that bus 
after the fact. And if you think that this incident caught the attention of an on-ice official and potentially fans and other people around, this is what's happening in the public eye. Imagine what might happen then once those bus door closes, doors close and they're on the trip back and who knows, right? When, when people aren't watching. So I, I think that's, without knowing specific details of exactly what happened, I think that's what catches the league's attention, that they want to say, you know, th this is not okay behavior because we're not sure we can guarantee the safety of this particular employee or even your players or whomever. Um, whatever it was, obviously, in, in many people's eyes, including the on-ice official, breached the line of just a, a heated exchange between two people looking to do to achieve the same thing and abuse and potential abuse of power. So I, I'm going to trust that people know where that line is still and that when it gets crossed is where we have an issue. And so this is where I wouldn't mind even a little bit more information from the league. So we know what the line was or is and where it was crossed. Obviously, um, you know, homophobic, misogynistic, sexist, uh, racist language has zero place. And that's a non-starter. And I think we're all going to agree on that. But I, I want to share an example from my own professional life. And I want to be careful here to not try to conflate, you know, competitive sports at a pretty damn high level with radio broadcasting at not as high a level. But I think there is a similarity here in that both industries are competitive industries. Whether you like radio broadcasting or not, my day job is to perform better than other people in my peer group so that my station has the most success, just like a coach and everybody associated with a hockey team is trying to perform their best so that their team can perform the best, get the most points, win championships, et cetera. So I'm, I'm going to, if you'll allow me, draw that, that comparison, if you will. So a long time ago, Dan, this, this, this may surprise you a little bit. I was a pretty stubborn guy. I had my share of opinions. I may still be a pretty stubborn guy with a, a pretty good share of opinions. I also think a, a few years ago, I took myself more seriously than I take myself today. We could argue that point probably and feel free. Uh, OHL podcast at rogers.com. If you want to tell me that I still take myself too seriously, that's fine. Here's the thing. I had just joined the radio station where I'm still working today. And it was an all news station. And I was coming from a news background, but not an all news station. So I thought this was this was a pretty big feather in my cap. I'm going to do all news now. This is serious business. This is, you know, really one of the highest levels I could personally reach, at least in the market where I was working. And when I arrived, I ran into a boss, my direct report, who had a, a different idea of how we should be going about the business of broadcasting the news to our listeners. He was much more into the infotainment side of things if you will he liked the bells and whistles and i'm like listen we're about meat and potatoes here right this is me now acknowledging taking myself really seriously this should be about getting it right telling the best story it shouldn't be about you know bells whistles sound effects infotainment i, I felt very strongly about this and so we we kind of clashed philosophically about how we should be best delivering our on-air product and I hadn't been there all that long 
at the radio station where I'll remind you, I'm still employed today. When this came to a head and it came to a head just before I went on the air for my afternoon shift started at three o'clock when he wanted our station to sound a certain way and lead with a certain story and me as the managing editor of that afternoon shift completely disagreed with him. And I'm going to tell you that we were, we were about this far apart from one another. And if you're not watching on YouTube, I'm just telling you that we're basically nose to nose in the hallway, outside the studio doors before I'm supposed to be on the air in about 10 minutes in full view of the entire staff. And I'll tell you what, it was a two floor radio station. I guarantee you they could hear us the floor below. We're upstairs going into the studios. We were top of our lungs yelling at one another. There was foul language. There was effing you and effing this and back and forth until we arrived at a point where I'm like, I need to take a breath. I, I left the radio station, went out onto the street, got some fresh air, came back in to start my shift. I mean, I had a co-anchor. She carried things like the champ that she was for about 10, 15 minutes at the start of the show. And I got into the flow, finished my shift, yada, yada, yada. She's like, I didn't think you were ever coming back. I thought you got fired on the spot, this and that. The end of the story is the next day, naturally, you might expect, I had to start the day with a meeting in my boss's office. And it was at that meeting, Dan, that we both acknowledged where we went wrong the day before, recognized that, hey, we've got some different philosophies here and we're going to have to figure out. We both wanted the same thing. We wanted what's best for the station, just like I'm sure Greg Walters and this other Owen Sound Attack employee want what's best for the players and what's best for the team and what's going to generate the most success. Me and my boss sat down, we hashed it out, we shook hands, we promised to do better. And if ever we have to do this again, we'll take it behind closed doors and turn down the volume a little bit. And that was it. I kept my job. He eventually moved on to another job where he hired me again at another place down the road. And we remain to this day really good friends in the business. Now, I don't know if that comparison to radio broadcasting and high-level competitive hockey flies with everybody here, but my point is this. I think I, I want it to still be okay. I'm just going to be blunt. I want it to still be okay to get into a little F you with somebody because your common goal is the same and not have it be the end of your career. That's all. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I think that's completely fair. And I think that depending on the nature of your relationship, obviously there was some healthy level of mutual respect before that argument occurred. That helped. That's not always the case. And I think a lot of people listening to this podcast might say, yeah, yeah, we're, uh, we're getting soft. Every one of us has had our butt kicked by a boss at some point or had a falling out with a coach or whatnot. And we, you know, you shake hands, you have a beer, whatever, you go back to the drawing board. And I, th I think that dynamic flies with a lot of us. We say, yeah, that's that's just kind of how things shake out as long as lines aren't crossed. Uh, but I think at the same time, we also have to acknowledge that the world has changed. And now... All of these organizations, whether you're the radio station or hockey organization, whatever, we all have various performance management tactics at our disposal, tools and tactics at our disposal. We have ways to address workplace issues like that without crossing any lines. And you know what? That puts limitations on abuses of power from above. 
and it puts you know pretty strict terms on insubordination and things from below so it just it maintains that level of respect because no one wants to be embarrassed in front of coworkers or colleagues no one needs to be made to feel lesser than they are for any reason and that's kind of the dynamic we're working with now so I think things across the world have changed and if that's a softening sure maybe it is a little softer but I think I'd rather err on the side of a, a world where everyone gets treated with respect and dealt with with respect regardless of if they screwed up or not uh, than having these complete blowouts where some people have no standing in that blowout. Yeah, and I, I certainly wouldn't want to see the blowouts happening frequently. Uh, but gosh, I, I think a little friction, I think a little friction in pursuit of a common goal is okay and i want it to still be okay frankly i grew from it from it and i can tell you that in the 15 or so years since i have we had disagreements sometimes passionate disagreements behind closed doors hell yes we have so there was certainly a lesson learned and yeah do we you know tone down the language a little bit sure but again it came from he knew where i was coming from i knew where he was coming from and i don't know i just i do worry a little bit dan i think it might be I think it might be just a wee bit, just a wee bit on erring on the soft side here. And, and I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm okay with that. I, I, if, we, if we are not motivated to compete and to put out there our very best in pursuit of that common goal, damn it, I don't know how I feel about it. And so I'll just finish. I think it's telling that Greg Walters can apply for reinstatement, which I suspect he will. And I suspect we'll see Greg Walters coaching in the league so to your point we're in a different place but this is not the end of greg walters's coaching career in major junior in my opinion we'll see what happens yeah and, and you know what i kind of chuckled a little at this whole thing anyway because if you look at the way some of these coaches speak to the officials and you think well they're not exactly extending respect in the workplace to these guys they're embarrassing them in front of peers and colleagues so i it, to me it just comes back to that that power imbalance thing an official has some means to still wield power in that relationship um whereas presumably this person did not and that's what catches everyone's attention yeah it, it would be interesting to learn more and i guess i kind of understand why you don't get all of the sordid details but it, it does make me just question a little bit where we're at i think we know and and sawyer bolton and the london knights know where he is at a 10 game suspension for let's call it what it is a, a hit pretty much directly to the head of Sault Ste. Marie crap uh, captain Bryce McConnell Barker McConnell Barker hasn't played since and Bolton gets himself a 10 game ban what say you Dan uh, it was a rough week for the McConnell Barker boys his, uh, his younger brother took a nasty hit in Guelph as well so yeah I, I mean basically my stance on this one's pretty straightforward I, I hate seeing those shots those uh, obviously the league wants to get rid of the shots to the head this one was borderline late, as we could all see from the video. And probably the thing, I'm just going to be honest, that doesn't sit well with me the most is the fact that Sawyer Bolton is there to play that physical game, that intimidating game, not necessarily a high-end OHL caliber talent, um, taking out a high-end OHL caliber talent with a questionable hit. So I think based on that framing, I, I have a problem with it. No one, the league or fans or anyone else wants to see high-skilled players taken out of the game by lower-skilled players who are there to try and do that. So I, I don't think the optics sat well here and being Cyber Bolton's third suspension, I think that's why it was a bit heavy-handed. 
interesting because you mentioned Brody McConnell Barker, the younger brother of Bryce who got rocked by Braden Bowman uh, same week in Guelph. And I wonder just when you're talking about the caliber of player, is it because Braden Bowman is a high caliber player that there was not even a, a call, much less supplemental discipline for Braden Bowman from that hit? Yeah, I think benefit of the doubt comes in there, right? And track record. And I mean, I didn't like the hit by Bowman, uh, but there is a bit of a track record there. Braden Bowman's not a dirty player. He's the captain of the team. He's there for skill reasons. He's not out there in a predatory nature. Whereas I think the league looks at a player like Sawyer Bolton and just sees it for what it is. So this is this is a guy who knows his role. I'm not saying he does a bad job at that role, but sometimes crosses the line. And I think the league is going to be there to step in when that line that crosses is crossed costs a skilled player some games and potentially his health. So uh, that's the difference. I should I should correct myself too. Bowman did get a penalty for it, right? He just yes. didn't get any supplemental discipline. Yeah. And so just back to the, the Sawyer-Bolton piece, I think you touched on something a moment ago, Dan, that to me is the key to all of this. It's third time offender here. So it was a hit to the head of Quentin Musty earlier in the season versus Sudbury. Uh, the quote unquote staged fight, which I still think was a bullshit call on both Jackson Stewart and Sawyer Bolton, to be honest with you, Owen Sound, London, uh, a month or so ago, but that was the second suspension of three-game ban there. So it went from two with the hit on Musty to three with the quote-unquote staged fight, and now 10 games. And and can I go so far as to say, Dan, that I'm, I'm kind of impressed with the league offices on this, right? You kind of got the, the step up here, two games, three games, 10 games get the message and and also the discipline was handed out very swiftly in this regard yeah the league's doing a much much better job of that this year and i'm, I'm with you 100 percent, mike like you look at those names you just said quinton musty bryce mcconnell barker those are two players fans pay to see and i think the league's sending a pretty clear message here that if you're going to employ players and have the strategy to go after those guys you got to know where the line's going to be or we're going to come down on you and you know at the end of the day Teams may still feel it's worthwhile to take those runs and take those shots and risk it to get those players out of the game, but that's not what any of the rest of us want to see. I, when I go to a game, I want to see Quentin Musty. I want to see Bryce McConnell-Barker. So it's almost like the NFL erring on the side of being a little bit uh, overprotective of quarterbacks, which ruffles some fans' feathers and say, well, that wasn't really a penalty, though. But I'd rather see that than the opposite. So good on the league. I'm going to plead innocence here. I swear this is the truth. But I do a weekly video called Fridays with Farwell just to kind of, you know, talk about something in the league. If you haven't seen it on our YouTube channel, please check it out. The YouTube channel is uh, the OHL podcast. But I had no idea that this particular hit, Sawyer Bolton on Bryce McConnell Barker, had had stirred up such animosity between the Sioux and London. I just did my most recent video. Again, I promise innocently because... I, I read the post-game report in the Sioux Star, and I, I kind of chuckled at, at some quotes in there. One from head coach John Dean of the Sioux Greyhounds, who said it was the London Knights' intention to come into the game and drag it into the gutter. And then Julian Fantino, a forward with the Greyhounds, saying, oh yeah, there will be a response when we play next in London. And look, I, and I said this in the video, I, I'm not advocating frontier justice here. I don't want anybody to go out headhunting. Maybe the response is 
you know, they put up a crooked number the next time they play the London Knights. But what I liked about it and what I said in the video was that we got a little bit of a, a rivalry going on here. We got people not afraid to speak their mind in the newspaper after the game. The game's being dragged into the gutter. You bet we're going to respond for what he did to our guy. I like this sort of thing. I like a little bit of emotion in, in our games here. And so I, I posted the video just with that intention and then realized after the fact because I'm getting it from both fan bases like, whoa. Okay, so I was just outside looking in. I liked a couple of the quotes. The two of you, you just go back and do what you've been doing. But from the outside, I'm kind of enjoying this just as a fan. Like, stir it up. Let's go. <laughs> uh, it certainly ratchets, ratchets up attention for the next and interest in the next meeting, right? And and we see this all year. It's like there's some gamesmanship in the papers and with the quotes. And emotion runs high after these games. Players say things. Coaches say things. Then maybe a day or two later, they'll get that it was maybe a little more inflammatory than they, than they intended. These things happen. But you're right. At the bottom line is it does create intrigue and you want to see both teams fly in the next game. And, and ultimately, that's what you're going to see. You're going to want to see teams beating each other on the score sheet. Just makes for better hockey. It's absolutely nothing compared to what we're going to be seeing post-Christmas, pre-January 10th trade deadline, but there were a few deals this week, probably chief among them, Dan. The Kitchener Rangers seem to have cleared up their overage situation, trading away defenseman Roman Schmidt to the Kingston Frontenacs for a second and a third round pick. What do you make of the deal? Yeah, another one, Mike. I like how this year it's kind of stunning me how a lot of these deals are actually seem pretty fair. I mean, Kitchener obviously had the overager issue. They, with Mitchell Martin on the shelf, they were able to dress the other three, Motu, Sop, and Schmidt for now. But that deadline was quickly approaching. I think you heard Mike McKenzie's comments after the trade saying that he was worried about running out of runway and having to give the player away or wave him. And, and that's not good value for, for players of that ilk. So presumably may have looked for offers on on more than one of them and taken the best one. My my hunch is that had committed to Martin, Sop, and Motu at the start of the year, and when Schmidt unexpectedly showed up, said, okay, the right thing to do is let's find him a good spot. Kingston had a situation where they had a trade request from Thomas Budnick, wanted to play in Guelph, had to move him. Suddenly a hole in the roster for a Kingston team that's uh, ratcheting up, starting to to ramp up and looking like this might be their year if they can kind of get things together. So they needed to plug that hole quickly. A second and a third, certainly fair for a player like Schmidt who can log huge minutes in virtually any role, but especially in that shutdown role. So yeah, I think deal's fair both ways. I, I like the move by Corey Cooper up in Kingston, just for the record, because you, you basically end up uh, with a, an extra third round pick because Budnick goes to Guelph for a second and two thirds. You give the second and third or a second and third to Kitchener for Roman Schmidt. So you keep your defense intact. You add a third round pick to your own roster. And yes, Dan, from the Kitchener Rangers side of things, uh, I think Mike McKenzie does well extracting some value from a player that he was going to have to move. Maybe not Roman Schmidt specifically, but he had four overagers on his team. And obviously we know post January the 9th, you can't carry all four. So I think he extracted some decent value out of an asset that everybody knew he had to move. And, and the secondary part of this from the Kitchener perspective that I find rather intriguing is that Mitch Martin has missed the past 18 games with a lower body injury. Uh, it's not even skating yet as we head into the Christmas break. And a lot of people were wondering, boy, oh boy, was, was this injury because it's been listed as week to week for quite some time. Like how bad is it? And, 
And is Mitch Barton ever going to be back on the ice? I, I guess we know now, or we can at least assume with Roman Schmidt gone, there is an expectation that Mitch Martin will very much be a part of this Rangers team in the second half of the season. Yeah, and I think uh, Josh Brown, the Waterloo Region Record reporter, stated recently that he's hearing Mitchell Martin is going to start skating sometime around the trade deadline, probably need a few weeks to get back to, to game shape, but sometime in that stretch run, I suppose he'll return. But they must be obviously pretty confident that he's going to get back and be able to play for them to move Schmidt. Uh, and, and you look at a player like Mitchell Martin and just fits that roster like a glove. So I have no issue with Mike McKenzie deciding – they want to stick with Mitchell Martin. We saw what an absolute beast he was in the playoffs last year. Just a load to handle, can skate, can score, can hit. Adds absolutely everything you need to to make a run in the playoffs. So uh, I, I don't think it's a bad move if they've got some reasonable medical reports on him. One more uh, little move that was made. Reed Gee is no longer a member of the Flint Firebirds. He comes over to Mississauga in exchange for, uh, along with a 12th round pick, in exchange for a third, an eighth, and 11th that uh, Saga sends back Flint's way. Again, this is going to get a whole heck of a lot more interesting post Christmas, but this kind of ties off some loose ends or puts a bow on trades, if you will, as we head into the holiday season. Okay, uh, we still got lots to talk about because, look, Dan talked me into one of his usually cockamamie ideas. Oh, yeah, let's do this before the holiday break. We should give out some mid-season awards. So so we'll do that. We'll acknowledge a couple of milestones. And, of course, we still have our prospects of the week all still coming on this episode of the OHL podcast. get to that cockamamie idea of yours Mahar let's acknowledge a couple of milestones here chief among them of course Chris Lazary is now the winningest coach in Saginaw Spirit franchise history congratulations win number 155 it comes in 274 games and it gives Laz one more win than former Spirit head coach Todd Watson yeah, well, a big congratulations to Chris Lazary. We know this is going to, he's just going to be adding to that tally as we go forward here. Plenty more this year to come and, and presumably in the future too. So uh, pretty, pretty neat to be in the, in the record books in any regard, but, uh, but we know he's going to set his name apart in the Saginaw Spirit books. And, and if he stays long enough in the league, because his track record is pretty darn good in Saginaw. So congratulations to, to him and many more to come. Why would you say such a thing if he stays long enough in the league, Dan? I'm curious. <laughs> well, I'm just saying there's a lot of pro jobs available. And if you're looking to fill a pro job, I, I would think Chris Lazary has to be on your list, wouldn't he? You know, it's funny because it doesn't take a, a genius to use Google and just start looking back. And when I did, it's a pretty damned impressive coaching resume for Chris Lazary going back into his days even before in the Ontario Hockey League, even in the days before the Greater Ontario Junior Hockey League in the Junior B Loop, where he won uh, a Cherry Cup with the Waterloo Siskins and took them to the semis of the Sutherland Cup or the Southie, as they call it. You can look back at all of the other chapters or parts of that resume for Chris Lazary, but one that stands out to me connected to what you just said, Dan, is when he left Sarnia where he was an assistant coach. It was a, it was a tough decision for him. He's got a young family. 
and they decided to make the move. And so it just goes to show for sure, he's trying to take the next step in his professional career that will get him to that ultimate goal. But 155 wins with the Saginaw spirit, dare I say, you know, it, certainly in this day and age where we know that the league, the Ontario Hockey League is a stepping stone or a development league for coaches as much as it is for players and others, that's going to be a really tough mark for somebody to come along and break. And he's at 155 now. He's only going to be adding to that total as this season goes on. And and who knows what beyond this, of course, as the uh, Saginaw Spirit hosts the Memorial Cup. Is he going to be like Pete DeBoer hosted a Memorial Cup in 08 and then gone to the pros? I guess we'll see. But I, I don't think this is the last stop in Chris Lazary's coaching career. And, and just one more quick note. I'm not sure I've ever shared it before, but the story's been out there from enough people that it's either a really cool urban legend or it's true. And I, I lean towards the latter in it being true. The man that the man that Chris Lazary just passed, Todd Watson, who had 154 wins as the Saginaw Spirit head coach, famously one weekend invited the other members of his coaching staff to come to the house and help him put in a pool. And, and the guys were like, what, you need like the fencing or the deck around the pool or like an above ground pool. And he's like, no, like we're going to like dig the hole and put a pool in my backyard. I, I, I'm not making any of this up. I swear this is the story that's out there that he thought that over the course of a weekend, I mean, if you really applied yourself and had enough guys with enough shovels, you could effectively dig your own in-ground backyard pool. True story about Todd Watson. It's, and this is why we have suspensions when you abuse power imbalance. So, <laughs> no, he, he Can probably you imagine just... that? That's <laughs> all my assistants go, dig, dig. <laughs> and this is why you just call it team building, Farwell, and you're all good. <laughs> One of the other milestones we want to touch on, Jorian Donovan uh, passes Ben Gleason for most goals by a defenseman in Bulldogs franchise history. 23 of them now for Donovan. And hey, the timing, though, is what stands out to me. Donovan gets cut from Team Canada, comes back, joins Brantford, establishes the franchise mark for goals as a defenseman. And one more note on that, not really a milestone, but Michael Bushinger also cut, goes back to Guelph, scores the teddy bear goal for the storm uh, in a victory for them on the weekend as well. So just thought we'd note those guys both cut from team Canada, but getting right back in and making contributions with their club teams. Yeah. And good on them too. Cause I've, you know, I, I think both of them probably recognized that it was an honor just being invited, not saying they went there thinking they were going to be caught, but I knew it was bit of both were a bit of a long shot and to go get that experience, then come back with that confidence boost. Uh, and we love to see them, hit the ground running and not sulk. So good on them. All right. Uh, let's get to this cockamamie idea that you had. Like, I I should just block you on text or something like that. We'll set a time to sit down and, and record our podcast. And I won't pay any attention to your nonsense during the week. But you, you sucked me in because who doesn't want to do this as you head into the holiday break? So for some teams, like the Kitchener Rangers, I think they're the only team that's actually reached 34 games now, exactly half the season. But this is the unofficial halfway point. So Dan Mahar had the brilliant idea we should hand out some uh, mid-season hardware. So we're going to go goaltender, defenseman, rookie, MVP, and coach of the half season. And because it was your dumb idea, Mahar, you can go first. Let's start from the net out. Who's your goaltender of the half year? 
Okay, first of all, it's not dumb, it's cockamamie. <laughs> and second of all, I got I gotta give you credit. That impression you did of me earlier on, that was spot on. That so I'll give you that. Okay. So my my goalie of the half year, all these were tough calls, but I'm just gonna say that I landed on Braden Gillespie in Guelph. And the reason, a couple of reasons. Obviously, his numbers are right there. 278 GAA, 906 save percentage, 15 wins, everything right near the top of the league. But I, I think the fact that he has lifted a Guelph Storm team that's been short, he's come out of nowhere to be the key factor in a bunch of those victories, uh, really kept that team in the hunt. So if they get bolstered in the second half, who knows what's going to happen. So I thought there was four or five goalies in the running for this, but but my guy for the half year is Braden Gillespie. Who you got? You know, and just quickly, to because I'm with you with what you said, Dan. And if you think cockamamie sounds better than dumb, I'll keep saying cockamamie all day long. So, um, but it, this was a difficult thing, way harder than I thought it would be, which is why I'm annoyed with you for making me go through the exercise. Naturally, Braden Gillespie was on my radar too. And think about load management here too. Like this guy has been playing virtually every game for the storm and just showing up and responding. And it makes me think quickly, and some good reporting from Greg Cowan again. That's his second shout out on this podcast, but with the Owen Sound Sun Times, because he asked Darren Rumble about that uh, with regard to Carter George, who's just carrying the mail for the attack. But Rumble's response is listen, like these are young goaltenders, they're in good shape, and we got to ride the hot hand. That's absolutely what Chad Wiseman has been doing at Guelph. Gillespie has responded in spades for the very reasons that you talked about, you know, backstopping a, a team that you know, would be struggling certainly without him putting up some sparkling numbers. I'm going just down the road from Guelph and call me a homer if you want. But to me, Jackson Parsons is the guy and and the numbers speak for itself. And, and I think what makes it, I know he's 19 years old. I know. But remember, this is his first year as a starter. It's his first full year because of the injuries he has battled so far this guy's been a great teammate as a as a backup and even when he's injured he's still got this goofy smile on his face all the time around the rink and you look at what he's doing this year and it's incredible you talked about Gillespie's 278 well Parsons has got him one better his 277 goals against his tops in the league his 906 save percentage is second in the league he's first in wins with 17 he's first in shutouts with four for me Jackson Parsons is the goaltender of a half year yeah hard, hard to argue that like you said you look at those numbers and they're so comparable um slightly different contexts but yeah I, I i didn't think you could go wrong with either of those guys and probably one or two more i i might have had an even harder time on d where did you land so this one was really tough so i i got i gotta preface this Sparrow by saying that i i have fought to not be a homer here um because a lot of these personal individual stats and records this year are, i got to be honest, are pointing towards Kitchener for a lot of reasons. And you can just look at any neutral cursory look at the OHL website and you'll see that. Um, having said that, I, I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to temper my homerism on this one. And I'm going to go with Zane Parekh just based on everything he's doing there in Saginaw. I mean, just such an exciting, entertaining player to watch putting up the offense as you'd expect from a draft eligible player uh, running that power play, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This was tough. I thought there was a, a few in this category I could have gone with, but I'm going to go with Parekh who you got. So I'm doing the same thing. And 
boy, did I look long and hard at Matt Andonovsky because it's so hard to not like what this guy is doing so quietly. And what is he, a plus 36 or some redonkulous number halfway through the season? And of course, how do you ignore a Hunter Brustevich and what he's been doing? And what a pairing they end up making for the Rangers. But that's absolutely a bias, although I think that I would argue picking either one of those guys as the D of the half year. And, and we can have a beer about it or an eggnog over Christmas and we'll go and go and go about it. Cause you can make a case for either of those guys, but I'm also going to try to not be too much of a homer, especially after taking Parsons as the goalie of the half year. And sure. I took a look at Zane Perak, but then I just looked away because to me, he's just doing what we all expected yeah. him to do. Right. No offense, Zane, you're a yeah. great player. And I went uh, up North to Sault Ste. Marie and picked out R2 Karki, yeah. 16 goals already for the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. And this guy is just so dangerous. He's such a weapon for you on the back end. And sure, maybe you could argue, well, yeah, he is a, an NHL prospect already with Vegas. So you expect this, but boy, oh boy, has he impressed the heck out of me. So I went Karki as my defenseman of the half year. Yeah, he was on my last, and each one of these categories had three or four honorable mentions. And and how many of Karki's goals have come from the middle of the left face-off circle on the power play? Like, this seems to be his spot. Um, but yeah, what an impact he's had on Sault Ste. Marie. So obviously, no no qualms with that pick whatsoever. Yeah, a little Ovechkin-esque, isn't it, when you see him do that? I want to, I don't want to make, I don't like comparables at all, but it gives you the idea of where he's setting up on the ice to let those shots go. Okay, uh, I, this one also... I, I know we're going to be different on it. I, I took my guy for a very specific reason, but who did you go with for a rookie? Okay, uh, rookie. I, I had so a couple qualifiers again. I really wanted to go with a 2007 born player, and it's no offense to all the slightly older rookies. They're equally as important to this league as well. But I just think to do it at 16 is so unbelievably impressive. And I had a list here of four or five guys that I was having trouble picking. And I ultimately landed on the goaltender, Mike. I went with Jack Ivan Kovic. The reason being, I had 10 games, five and two record. Numbers are kind of off the chart. Nine, 914 save percentage, 280 goals against. This kid's 16, Mike. And and to put up those numbers, and I just look, you know, numbers bordering on elite for the league, not for rookies, in a class by himself for rookie goaltenders that it, I know we have a goalie uh, category, so I felt bad picking a second goalie, but I just couldn't ignore those numbers. So I'm going with Ivan Kovic, who you got. I love the pick. And of course, Ryerson Leanders was in my mind as I looked at the goalie of the half year. What an embarrassment of riches they have right now in Mississauga. I'll just add this to what you just said about young Jack Ivan Kovic. Settle down, Jack. We've got three more years at least to talk about you on this podcast and in this league, but that's an excellent selection. And I confess to going with a 17 year old, I've got an 06 on mine, but again, for very specific reason, I went with Cole Davis as, as my rookie of the year. I know he's so he's a year older. He had five games in the O last year, but what I like about what Cole Davis is doing right now, tied for third in rookie points with 20 is that, He's doing it for the Windsor Spitfires. And no no disrespect, Windsor, but how tough must it be to be on your second coach to go through the first 20-odd games with just four wins? This team loses eight games in a row. They're struggling mightily. And yet, this guy, in his first full year in the league, with without a whole lot of support around him. Again, I'm not trying to whiz on the 
players that are there. But I mean, even Alex Christopoulos was out for an extended period, right? Coming back from injury. So for those reasons, I took a deeper dive and looked at Cole Davis. And I said, you know what, kid, considering the adversity you're facing, I'm giving you the nod as the rookie of the half year. No, a great call. I, I love all the reasons you just described. He's often the engine, he and Liam Greentree, two draft eligibles that are driving the train there in a difficult year. So great pick. But what what talk about embarrassment of riches, Mike, with the league this year. I mean, uh, I could have made a compelling case for Jake O'Brien and Hamilton, Travis Hayes and the Sioux, even Tanner Lamb and Kitchener. I mean, there's a lot of rookies here that are just making a compelling case to say they were the best rookie in the first half of this year. So I think uh, fans of this league are, have something to look forward to really enjoyed Hayes in a live viewing this past weekend. And that's why I tried to stay away. I thought this is a recency bias sneaking in here, but yeah, Hayes was also is also excellent and, and will be for years to come. Okay. This next one gave me a, a little bit of a fit as well, but maybe I'll start this way. Why did you not take Carson Rakoff? Because it's hard not to as your MVP. Okay. So I did. Okay, good. Well, <laughs> all this homerism stuff, I already took I, Parsons as the goalie, so fair yeah, enough. I did, and, and the reason being, this is why I kind of made my little excuse for the homerism, because as I went through these categories, uh, I kept asking myself, is this being homerism? But now how can you how can you ignore the CHL goal leader, league point leader, uh, playing all situations, just take it like he's got 31 goals in mid-December, for crying out loud, and you look at all the other comparables in this league. Like, I, I really struggled here because i looked at porter martone i looked at nick lardis i look at a, some of these guys that are just having phenomenal years and tried to make the case and in every situation i just couldn't make the case that they've actually been better than carson rakoff and i thought you know forget it i'm just going to do what i need to do here and carson rakoff is my first half mvp yeah Who's, and who you got uh, not Carson Rakoff, but not because he doesn't deserve it, as you well know, for the reasons you just outlined, Dan. And and I'll just say again, I mean, I feel like I'm being apologetic, but honestly, we've talked about this on the podcast already in this first half year. The Carson Rakoff that we are seeing this year, and obviously we see every Kitchener game, is a full 180 from the Carson Rakoff we saw in the first two years. He's just, he's doing so many more of the little things, right? He's playing in all those situations. As you said, Dan, he's playing so well in his own end. And I think there's a reason these are all factors. I'll bet along with the pure scoring ability that helped him make team Canada this year. So again, Rakoff settle down. You got enough accolades. You're not getting one more from me on this podcast. And I started thinking about this as you know, the age old argument when it comes to MVP, is it the best player in the league? Is it the most valuable to their team? And so I started taking a good hard look at the Peterborough Peets and boy, oh boy, did I want to dive in there and pick, you know, the Peets, a nice surprise in the Eastern Conference this year. But then I thought about another team in the East that is probably playing a year ahead of its anticipated pace coming in. And then I found my way to Luke Misa. He opens the season with a four-point night. He has since had a five-point game, 12 multi-point games already this season, and he's currently riding an eight-game point streak. So for me, the MVP of the first half of the season is not Michael, but Luke Misa in Mississauga. Well, I kudos to you because I did not see that coming. And uh, again, a great pick. I mean, Luke Misa, again, a draft eligible player. We're not talking about a guy that's out of the league after this year. So what a phenomenal amount of young talent we have in this league. And yeah, that's, I can't argue with that pick. Did not, right. did not guess that one from you, but cannot argue. I have, I have a feeling. I mean, 
there's only one way to go for the coach of the half year, right? We are going to be in unanimity on this. Dan Mahar, who you got? There was no other choice here. I mean, I had a bunch of honorable mentions, don't get me wrong, but it's got to be UC Hocus. I mean, of course it does. There's no, there's, there's no argument otherwise when you take a team that everyone predicted to be out of the playoffs and he's first in the league at this point has been dealing with some injuries but etc 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 but just the style of play um and of course you want to give the uh the sort of consolation shout out to Kurzakos and Flynn on that bench as well because I believe these staffs are staffs they're it's not just the head coach but Yutia Hocus is for me there wasn't a whole lot of debate on this one I think you're spot on when you talk about the coaching staff uh i've uh, interrupted a meeting or two pre-game just to poke my head into the coach's office and i see how these guys work together but i i, I don't know how many different ways you can look at this rangers team compared to last rangers team they've got 24 wins already this season at the midway point they only had 33 wins all of last year. The Rangers have 50 points already this season at the halfway point. They only had 72 points uh, a year ago. I mean, it just goes on and on. And it's impossible in my mind to argue that the biggest difference here is how they are being coached. They've bent but not broken on a number of occasions, uh, back-to-back losses, but never a three-game skid. Every time there seems to be a challenge put in front of them, the team seems to meet the challenge, and I think that starts at the top. So without question in my mind, uh, UC Hocus is the coach of the half year for sure. Yeah, and again, this is take nothing away from some pretty incredible years. Shout out to John Dean, James Richmond. A couple of these other guys are just always good and having getting a phenomenal amount out of their teams. Both Sue and Mississauga, as you referenced, probably a year early too, and that, that speaks largely to coaching. So... There were, it wasn't that there weren't other worthy candidates, but I just, you, you can't not give it to UC Hocus at this stage. Yeah. And I might throw in, although their teams have started to slide kind of in the direction we thought, but Rob Wilson in Peterborough, Al Latang in Sarnia, who's going to be coaching the world junior squad. So you'll see him over Christmas, but anyway, lots out there, but for me and for both of us, for obvious reasons, I don't think, I mean, I think if we put up a poll, everybody would have to make that choice because of the way the first half of the season has gone all right one you know as far as cockamamie ideas go dan i think that went okay i mean again let us know (laughs) ohl podcast at rogers.com throw in your own suggestions or tell us how bad the idea was i don't know was it dumb was it cockamamie could have been both we don't know all right let's get into uh last order of business before we take a break for the holidays and that is of course our weekly prospect of the week one for each of us who are you bringing to the show I changed my mind three times this week, Mike. So that tells you what how this week's going. Um, I ultimately landed on uh, my boy Merrick Van Acker and and Brantford. Love his game. I loved his game all year. The the aggressive forecheck, the speed. He's got good size. Starting to put up some great numbers. We just saw a four pointer from him. Dragged this team back into the fight to squeeze a point out of their visit to Kingston in a game that looked like they had lost. A uh, bit of a bull in a china shop in that one. Almost uh, nearing that point of game pace right now, but love everything he does on the ice aside from just scoring. Uh, so I, I had Merrick Van Acker. Who you got? Excellent choice. Love me some Merrick Van Acker. And great reference to the game that was today as we're recording this at the end of the Oshawa Peterborough, by the way, best rivalry in the Ontario Hockey League. Uh, that game earlier tonight. It's a Sunday. It's the last game that was played before the break. Uh, and we just wanted to let the game finish. 
and I had forgot to make the note because I, I watched that Kingston uh, Brantford game earlier today. Van Acker almost won it in regulation, but he rang it off the post. The point I wanted to make though, and I feel just awful, but they still haven't gotten the memo in Kingston, eh? Like that, that, that's, that there is a junior hockey team there. Oh my goodness. Just a dreadful crowd at the Leon center. Why? Right. It was so depressing to see that, Mike, because they're, they're a good hockey I don't know if you're not paying attention, folks, but that team has been a good hockey team for a while now, uh, last few weeks. They've got they've gotten it together. They're they're going. They're, they're getting healthy. Go support that team. It's a great venue, too. Oh, it's an incredible venue. One of the one of the best we've got in the league. I love the city. I've got a real soft spot for Kingston. I just think it's a terrific city. And heck, I was in Barrie on Saturday night. That team is not doing well right now they're really struggling of late and in all honesty i thought the building was a little bit quiet for the crowd that was there it got into it as the team did and, and they forced overtime against kitchener too but there were 3500 plus at the sadlin arena like what the hell kingston it was it was really sad to see because that was a good hockey game earlier today and apparently you me and a couple of our good friends in kingston are the only ones that saw it <laughs> what a shame it is a shame. All right. So you got Van Acker. I, and it, it's, it worked out well for me, uh, have a guy that made, I think, me feel even better about my choices. I watched him play in that last game before we called it a Christmas break. And that is Luca Morelli of the Oshawa Generals, who picked up two more assists in the 5-1 win over Peterborough, was a plus three in the game. So you go back over the past four games, including the one that just finished, he's got himself six assists and he's a plus nine in the past four games. And so for me, Luca Morelli is my prospect of the week. Great choice. Uh, you know, I love the Morellis, even though I've, I don't know how many times I've slipped and called them the Maselli's, but you know, we know who's the boss around here, right? So <laughs> nicely done, Tony. Nicely Thank done. You. And anybody who gets that reference, bonus points from Mona. And we'll just leave it right there. Uh the holidays are upon us, Dan. What's a Mahar family tradition? I don't know if there is a big family tradition. It'll be the uh, usual family dinner, and then it'll be a whole bunch of hockey, both coaching in the rinks and watching the world juniors. But how about you? Are you a Christmas Eve or a Christmas morning uh, presents guy? Uh, Christmas morning slash afternoon. Yeah, you? Yeah, I'm the same. I'm a stickler that way. It's got to be Christmas morning. Sometimes I'll, I, I'm getting softer in my old age, so maybe you know we'll sneak one in on Christmas Eve. Um, I'm all about the food for sure. The only problem for me is that I'm going to be surrounded by uh, fans of my least favorite NHL team, which is your favorite NHL team. I don't know how this happened to me, but fortunately the Leafs are well ahead of that team from uh, Quebec in the standing. So I should be in pretty good position this holiday season. So sounds like I need an invite to your house for all because not happening, not happening. This is as close as we need to get Dansky. This is as close as we need to get. All right. We will be back in the first week of January, Dan and I are just trying to figure out because the New Year's Day is the Monday. So we'll, we'll figure it out. But sometime that week uh, of January the 1st, we'll get back with our next episode, get you set for the trade deadline. We'll have some, obviously, World Juniors to talk about because we're all going to be enjoying that over Christmas. So thank you very much for sticking with us through another half season. We're having tons of fun. I, You know what, Dan? I don't think I even shared this with you yet. So I'll just share it live on the podcast. Four thousand downloads this month we have set a new 
OHL podcast record for monthly downloads. So I, I think they're, they're only here for you. There's no question about that, but Hey, thank you for coming along on the ride. That's that makes it feel like, you know, they're out there. They're listening. They're really listening. <laughs> yeah, I can only echo that, Mike. Thank you so much to everyone that's finding value in this and following us. We really appreciate it. And I've got plenty more cockamamie where that came from. So Can't wait. We'll be back in the first week of January. Give us a like, subscribe, tell a friend, send an email anytime. OHLpodcast at rogers.com. He's Dan Mahar. I'm Mike Farwell. Merry Christmas. We're back in the first week of January on the OHL Podcast. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.